Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the fact that we can be here tonight, assemble in your name. And Lord, we just ask that you would do your work in our hearts and lives through this time together here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And uh, it is good. Two other things that had slipped my mind momentarily. There was, uh, we have a work group from Michigan that want to come out uh, before Christmas and work on the Union Baptist Church to help us uh, get things in line there. And also, uh, at least, uh, I think there were a couple of guys, but one in particular, a pastor from Phoenix, Arizona, and remember Brother Randolph, the young man that now pastors that church is talking about bringing a missions group up here to do track passing and things for a week. And I said, well, uh, we have a bunch of churches and we will keep you very, very busy. So uh, those things are very good. Now tonight, what I'd like for us to do is we're trying to finish out uh, the month of September with uh, Bible words, and uh, tonight the word I would like for us to look at is the word hope. We have been talking a little bit about that here uh, of late, and of course it is it is something that we need. Um, the human uh, uh, being needs hope. Uh, without hope, Life ceases to exist as it should. In fact, that's one of the greatest problems of our time. Why suicide is one of the leading causes of death is because hope is being removed from people's lives. Uh, If you like history, uh, one book that you might want to read is called Prisoners of the Sun. It is the story of our POWs. In World War II, uh, including the Bataan Death March and all of those things. And what they found out by uh, taking uh, testimonies and histories, oral histories from the men who went through those things, many of the young and the very strong uh, men that were serving there in the military... When the Philippines fell to the Japanese, it was actually, uh, for the most part, National Guard units that were in the Philippines. And, and there were many older men with families and things that had been sent over there for a short period of time. They were then captured and spent the rest of the war, another four years, in conditions that were far below minimal survival standards. In fact, as they gave their testimonies and to the doctors, the doctor said, uh, you're making this up. There is no way a human being could survive. And, uh, of course, that angered greatly many of the men who were telling what had actually happened. And as they evaluated these things, they made a startling discovery that those men that had hope of seeing their wives and their children back in the States stayed alive. And those younger men who were unattached from those things, who did not have those same expectations or hopes, succumbed to disease and died at a much higher rate. And 
uh, I made an interesting discovery as I was just reading through some information on this. Uh, the man who wrote the article in the encyclopedia I was reading, a Bible encyclopedia, said that there is no actual one single word in the Hebrew language that means hope. Uh, that there were dozens of different words that are translated hope uh, uh, from the Hebrew and so I just did a little bit of study here, and let's just get a definition so we can keep moving on here. Hope is the expectation of something desired, a desired combined with expectation. Wow, how many of you didn't know that? Uh, that that's pretty simple stuff, is it not? And it feeling of trust or confidence. And then it says, obsolete except as a biblical archaism. Uh, the idea that you can have a hope that is trusting and confident in something unseen only exists in the Bible, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. And... As a verb form, it says to entertain expectation of something to desire, to look mentally with expectation, to trust, to have confidence, and then it goes back into biblical archaisms. And what I want you to do as we start tonight, I want you to turn with me to Job chapter 13. Job chapter 13. And what I want to present tonight is there does not need to be a concrete explanation, a dictionary definition, a single word uh, that means hope when you know the God of the Bible. Hope is intrinsic. It is part of, you cannot experience on any level the God of this book called the Bible and not be encouraged and understand that there is hope, uh, that there is actually no situation you can be in that there is no hope, if the God of this book called the Bible is there. And so the reason why there does not need to be a word is this principle of hope is overriding. It is built into Biblical thinking. And I want you to look at Job chapter 13 as he is being tortured here by his friends and all of these things that happened to him. In verse 15, Job is speaking of God. He says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, but I will maintain mine own ways before him, he also shall be my salvation, for an hypocrite shall not come before him. Now, uh, I wish we had time to develop these things completely, but this is a summary. We're looking at the overall picture tonight. And I just want us to get this idea here. Job says, if God kills me, 
I'm still trusting in Him. And He will still be my salvation. I am not abandoning the relationship that I have maintained with God all the way up to this point that my suffering began. I'm not going to go back and rethink my life because you say that I must have done something wrong. Remember, that was Job's friend's greatest premise. Is God doesn't do bad things to good people. Therefore, you've got to be bad, Job. And Job says, no, that's not true. That cannot be true. My trust is in the God of the Bible no matter what he does. And at this point, Job had lost every possession. He had lost his children. He had lost his health. He was sitting in a pile of ashes with oozing boils all over his body. And yet his greatest suffering was just beginning as his three friends tried to comfort him. And of course, I like to remind people the the phrase uh, with friends like these, who needs enemies? It comes from the book of Job. It it is from this story. That's where we get that uh, idea. And yet here was Job. Is he not giving the textbook definition of hope? says, I don't care what God does. I know God is my Savior. How many of you are thinking of a verse in Hebrews that this echoes? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. For without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder, of them that diligently seek Him. You see, this is what hope is for the Christian. We never... The Hebrew people, as they grew and became a people and understood God, understood one thing. There is never, never, never is a very strong word, There is never a time when a believer in the God of the Bible is without hope. But I I want you to understand something. There are more people who live in this world than people who believe in the Bible. There are many different kinds of cultures. In fact, we, we live in a world today where... Uh, we have what is called multiculturalism in our schools, where we, where not we, they, teach children that all cultures and all expressions of humanity have a base equality because all men are basically the same. Well, I would like to challenge you that cannibalism and tribal animism and the witch doctors and all of that is not the moral equivalent of the Scriptures. Uh, I, I would like to tell you that communism and a socialist understanding of mankind and society gets a zero when it is compared to the humanity and the society that this book called the Bible wants to build with people. 
and you can just name them. There is nothing that compares to this book called the Bible. Even other religions that call themselves Christians. I, I get a little frustrated. People sometimes say, well, yeah, yeah, Baptists are Protestants. No, no, we're not. Now, do you know that it was right uh, in medieval society for the mayor of the town to decide how many plates you put on your table for dinner? And how much food your family was allowed to eat. And when the Protestants came along, they just adopted all of those things. It's very much like the story I was told by a Muslim man. I said, will you please explain to me what, what the Muslim uh, idea of good works or pleasing Allah, what the idea of grace is? And he said, well, he said, let me tell you a story. I said, oh, I like stories. Tell me, please. He said, a man was walking by with his son and he saw a little boy across the street who had no father and had no shoes. So he took the shoes off of his son and put them on the feet of the boy that had no father and no son, uh, uh, no shoes, no father and no shoes, and Allah was pleased. I'm sorry, I laughed at him. He got a little, hmm? I said, my God's not like that. You see, my God tells me that if that little boy doesn't have a pair of shoes and doesn't have anyone to be his father, that I cannot actually be his father, but I should go buy him a pair of shoes and not steal from what my son should have to give to someone who doesn't have, because there is more in this world than it's not a closed system. Do you see what I'm saying? This is the idea that there's only so much of everything, and we, if, if somebody's going to have something, somebody else has to do without. You see, the base idea of all humanistic and worldly philosophies is what we call fatalism. I mean, remember that song from the 60s? Que sera, sera, what will be, will be. Very famous song. Uh, but that's not true. That's paganism. That's where the Calvinist picks up their predestination and election thing. It's not in the Bible. It's from the ancient gods of Egypt and Babylon that has traveled down through the ages and it was just the prevailing philosophy of the world. That's the same place Muhammad got it and, and why it is in the religion of Islam and the karma of the Buddhist. Good night. It is the textbook definition of fatalism. You do something bad and it's going to show, it's going to come back and get you. And they go to the Bible and say, see, the Bible says you're going to reap what you sow. See, it's all the same thing. No, it is not. Because there's something called grace. Are we still together? 
See, I, I, wanna, I want us to grasp this here, that as believers in the God of the Bible, we have something the world cannot have. They call it the same thing. But we have hope. Hope is a Bible word. And what I want us to do is start with the first mention tonight. Let's go to the book of Ruth. The first time the word hope is mentioned, it's, it's amazing. It's in a negative, very negative situation. Joshua judges Ruth. Four chapters here. How many are, of you are familiar with the story of Ruth? Just hold your hand up. You, you've been in Sunday school or studied through the book of Ruth. Most of us have. Uh, it, it's an incredible story. But uh, Ruth and Elimelech and their two sons, Malon and Chilion, went to sojourn in the land of Moab because there was famine. Uh, and we're not sure exactly what was causing that famine. The Midianites had come in. Uh, several times and had destroyed all the crops, that was famine. Other times there was drought and no rain and the crops wouldn't grow and produce, so there was no food and they went to Moab. So we get down here to verse... Um, uh, well, let's see here. And uh, verse... Six. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people, giving them bread. And so Naomi is now going back. She's got just two daughters-in-law. Her husband's dead. Her sons are dead. There are no grandchildren. And one of the strangest verses in the Bible one of the strangest parts of this whole story is she tells her daughters-in-law to go back to Moab, to go back to the false gods of Moab, and, and to let her go back to Israel. Now, again, we don't have time to put the whole story here, but the gods of Moab were evil beyond anything you could imagine, involving human sacrifice. I mean, it was, it was terrible degrading religion, one of the most vile religious castes known to mankind. And in verse 13, 12 and 13, she says, Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should say, if I should have a husband also tonight... And should bear sons, would ye tarry for them till they were grown? Would ye stay from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, it grieveth me, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now here's Naomi speaking. She said, listen, it, okay, let's just pretend for a moment that I had hope. You couldn't wait for my hope to come to fruition. We're, we're without any hope. Now, is that what the book of Ruth is about? Hello? No, no, no. The book of Ruth is about hope. Is it not? And how God rescued a Moabite. It was forbidden 
by the laws of God, the Moabite could join the congregation of Israel. To the tenth generation. It was impossible. But, but there's this thing called grace that supersedes everything else. And even though Naomi had given up on hope, the God of hope was still working. Amen? And let's just go over here to chapter 4 and look at a couple of verses here. And... uh, Verse 11, it says, And all the people that were in the gate, this is the city of Bethlehem, and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman that is come into thine house like Rachel and Leah, which too did build the house of Israel, and do thou worthily in Ephrata, and be famous in Bethlehem. Uh, by the way, can you get any more famous than David in Bethlehem? Well, actually you can Jesus. Amen? I mean, you talk about hope, and here is Naomi, who in chapter 1 says, there is no hope, there is nothing here. The God of hope was working, and she holds in her arms the next generation that she knew would never Come into existence. Her name, her family, her husband's name was all gone. Was wiped out of the history books. And yet, because of the laws of God, Boaz was able to take uh, Ruth as his wife and raise up a seed that would take the place of her dead sons who would carry on the name of her dead husband, the family would go forward and become the most famous family in the history of Israel. And the uh, genealogical heirs or forerunners of the Messiah himself. Now, I want to tell you, that's what hope is. That is intrinsic. That is who God is. God cannot be hopeless. Now, why do we go through life and struggle so much with this word called hope? I want to challenge you. It's because, unlike the Hebrews, we come from a Gentile mindset. I hate that word, mindset. We come from a culture that is built on fatalism, on things that aren't in the Bible. And and we see this changing this country called America completely different. We have... we uh, you, you go back uh, uh, to World War II. We talked about those prisoners in the prison camp. You know what? Suicide just wasn't thought of. You know who was thinking about suicide back then? That was our enemies. Suicide was never honorable 
in a culture that was built on the Bible. Because hope precludes suicide. And God is hope. The children of Israel did not know. I mean, how many stories could we tell? How about the Red Sea? We just went through that in Sunday school. Can I give you one of my favorite ones? Let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 10. 2 Samuel chapter 10. I just love this story. Now, what had happened here was David had sent his family into Moab to the children of Ammon to uh, protect them. While Saul was chasing him, he was afraid that Saul would send soldiers to his parents' house and would kill his parents in an attempt to entrap David. And so David brings them back into the land of Israel. He's now the king. He sends his comforters to the funeral of the man who had protected David's parents and the son and his counselors say, David's come to spy out the land and they treat them in a most disrespectful way. Here David had just tried to be kind. And the king of Ammon did far more than spit in the face of Israel as a country. And and, uh, so then they know there's going to be war. And David sends the mighty men, but the children of Ammon have hired the Syrians. And so they have two armies. They have the army of the children of Ammon, who is in their city. And they have the Syrians and their chariots hiding in the wilderness outside the city. Now, this is an emergency. David does not have time to call all of Israel. That would happen next year. He is now just sending Joab and the mighty men. So, they are outnumbered by the children of Ammon, two or three to one. And the children and the Assyrians that are there are just icing on the cake. And by the way, the Syrian soldiers were like ten times better than the Ammonite soldiers. And so this was, they walk up, uh, they travel there to the land, they, they're hurried there, they're, they're sent there very quickly to put this thing down and keep it from escalating. And Joab finds that there's two armies and he is in the middle. The trap was sprung. Joab walked right into it. Now look at verse 12. Be of good courage and let us play the men for our people and for the cities of our God and the Lord do that which seemeth him good. Now, if you're not careful, you'll read that and you'll say, that's fatalism right there. I mean, Joab just says, what's going to happen is going to happen. Let's go. Let's fight. But that, you, you forget. Even Joab understood the God of the Bible was a God of hope. And even though he was now double outnumbered, fighting two armies instead of one, Dividing his forces into half was not the wisest thing to do. 
under normal circumstances. But he said, we got a God. And we know what God wants to do. This, this was Joab. Joab was not saying, eh, we'll just, we'll give it a shot and if we're all dead, nobody will care. That wasn't Joab. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And you know he's not going to die because the script writers aren't going to let him die until the end of the movie. It's crazy. But we suck this stuff in. And we are affected in ways that we shouldn't be affected. We rewrite what went on in the Bible to make it sound like something that went on in a Hollywood movie when that could that nothing is further from the case. Joab had hope and faith in God and in the fact that they had done nothing wrong and they were not down there as the aggressors. And Joab, look at verse 13, And Joab drew nigh, and the people that were with him unto battle against the Syrians, and they fled. You know why they fled? Because they were fighting like a people with hope. And it scared the living daylights out of the Syrians. They thought they were coming down there. They were laughing under their breath and making jokes. When they see us, they're just going to lay down their weapons and die. And all of a sudden, it was Syrians dying everywhere. And then they realized it was only half the army. And they said, we're getting out of here. And then the children of Ammon said, hey, where are you guys going? You're supposed to be helping us. And all of a sudden, the Ammonites were dying everywhere. And so they ran back into their city and shut the door. And the Syrians ran away and God delivered them. Not because Joab was such a great guy. If he was such a great guy, he would have sent people ahead and discovered the ambush before it started. That would have been great soldiery. But I want to tell you, God's hope and God's grace is not because of how great we are. It's because of how great He is. Amen? Are you getting this? I'd like you to maybe... If you have to, just go like this, okay? Do do you understand what we're talking about here? Because we are so easily discouraged in the world in which we live. How about the story of Lazarus? Do we need to turn there? I mean, you talk about no hope. Why did Jesus do what he did to poor Mary and Martha? Because they were more concerned about themselves and what was going on in their family than they were what Jesus was doing. Let me ask you a question. Is what Jesus is doing more important than what we're doing? Hello? So, if he says, wait four days... I mean, we pull it out like this and lay it on the table and say... Good night. That makes perfect sense. I mean, how in the world, who in their right mind would say, what's going on in my life is more important than what Jesus is doing? I mean, that that is dumb with a capital B. Amen? D-U-M-B. 
That's crazy. But we do it every time we pray, don't we? Now, let's take our last few minutes here and just look at some things that the Bible talks about hope. Now, we're going to have to turn there, so limber up your fingers. Romans chapter 8, and and we're not covering everything. We're just picking up some highlights. And uh, I'll tell you, if you would like something fun to do, encouraging spiritually to do, is get your Strong's Concordance. If you don't have one, there's several of them online for free and uh, different things you can you can get. You can get an app on your phone. Uh, uh, if we don't have the book in the bookstore, we'll, we'll get them in, and, and you can have them. Strong's Concordance is still actually in print. But Romans chapter 8 and verse 24. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience Wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what to, what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's the context of that verse. God has given us things to hope for. Salvation. Freedom from our sinful I don't know about you, but when we have the Lord's Supper, there's always just a little fear and trembling in my soul. Because we, we do not live perfect lives, none of us. Not only in my own life, but for people that are members of our church, that they would do right, that they would have that right relationship with God, that they would not just wing it when it comes to the Lord's Supper. It is serious business. But you see, we have hope. We're saved by hope. We're saved by the fact that Jesus said He paid the price for all of our sins. Well, I, I, can, I can forgive others, but I can't forgive myself. Wait a minute. That's blasphemy, my friend. When you refuse to accept the forgiveness that Jesus has, you cut yourself off from the very hope that is the strength of your soul. He doesn't save us because of us. He saves us because of Him. We are saved by hope. We're saved from ourselves. We're saved from trying to be good enough. We're saved from trying to figure it all out. We're saved from trying to even plumb the depth of God's patience and and concern and loving kindness and long-suffering. It's there. Hope tells us we can trust and expect from God. Hebrews 6.19 says, Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth, into that within the veil. And it goes on to talk where Jesus is already waiting for us on the other side. You know, you can't go to a fellowship meeting like we were just at. And actually, Springfield, Missouri is the town that my Bible college was in. And I want to tell you, uh, many of us went to that college 
in in our in our days, and uh, I was there with a uh, a pastor friend of mine from Washington State who was there a few years before me, and and we were talking about some of the things and how the school moved. And I'll tell you, they don't have 200 students on campus today. My freshman class in 1982 was 600 students. Pastor Folger's freshman class was 1,200 students in the mid-70s. The buildings are falling to the ground. They can't even keep roofs on, on the buildings that are there. It's tragic. And I cannot in good conscience, give one dollar to help that school out. Because they moved. You know what? They lost their hope in the truth and the stability of God's Word and said, we need to move toward the world so that we can get more students. Well, how's that working for you, my friend? You know, it, It's not working. You see, hope keeps me from turning my back on God's eternal truths. That's why I still believe in this old King James Bible. One of these days, we're just going to rent a bus, if we could ever find one big enough to rent, and take you to one of these GIBF meetings. The singing was just congregational singing. I mean, just rang. Uh, And it was a smaller auditorium than... Uh, many of the meetings, and it was just, I mean, you just standing there listening to wonderful grace of Jesus and, and, and these grand old hymns of the faith, and you just sit there going, wow. Hey, we don't need that new garbage. Let's just sing. It's an, hope is an anchor, it says. Titus says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. In Titus 3, 7, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In Titus 2.13, it says, Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When's the last time you thought about Jesus might come today? You know what? That is the hope of the believer. It is the blessed hope. It is what keeps us going when nothing else will. 1 John 3.3 says, And every man that hath this hope in him, what is that hope? Of being with Jesus. We shall be like him. What does he do? He purifies himself even as he is pure. You know what that hope does? Makes you want to live like the apostles lived. Walking with Jesus. You know, we have this thing called hope. And I want you to understand, Christians aren't the only people that have hope. They're the only people that have real hope. I mean, 
how many, uh, just turn on the news. I mean, Nancy Pelosi is going to solve all your problems. How much hope would you have if you put it there? Sorry, but I mean, AOC says she's the only hope for the people in Miami. In 12 years, nobody's going to be alive in Miami. Now, if I had to put my hope in a post-adolescent 12-year-old who still doesn't understand basic high school math and things like this, I'd, I'd just be pulling my hair out. If that's where my hope was, if my hope was in the government solving my problems, I, come on, my friends. But people hope in all those things, don't they? It's just going to get better. Well, look around you. It's not better. My dad grew up in a time where you left the front door open because somebody might need to borrow a cup of sugar and couldn't get in to do it while you were out running errands. That was better than what we have today. Oh, they had their problems, but let me tell you something. My hope in God is not diminished by what goes on out there. Because my hope in God is based on what has already happened in here. And I got to constantly remind myself that the real world is not out there. It's in here. And I'm going to spend a whole lot more time with God in eternity than I will anywhere doing anything else. So maybe my hope, since it is in the eternal God and in eternal life that he gives and in the forgiveness that he gives, that maybe my mind ought to be more concerned with the world that's in here than the world that's out there. And you know what that does? That keeps me from going crazy when I hear all the crazy things going on out there. And that's what hope is supposed to do. The Jewish people did not know a world without hope until they abandoned the God of the Bible. This fatalism that is in the world. Well, we can't change anything. It's just going to happen. Well, actually, you can't change very much, but God can change anything he so desires. And I'd rather live that way. How about you? Do we have to start over again? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us to lay hold on the hope that is set before us. That we would run with patience that race. Lord, that we would understand that you are always good. That we would echo the sentiment of Job that even if it doesn't make sense to you, it's still God's word and I'm just going to stay the tread. Just going to stay the path. Not going to be moved. I'm going to be anchored by hope to the words of God. 
And Lord, we pray that you would help us to confess our doubt and our fears and our failures and live in the hope of eternal life and the imminent return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord. We of all people have no excuse to play the part of Naomi at the beginning of the book of Ruth. Lord, we pray that we would live in the joy of your salvation each and every day. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And before I finish that prayer, we'll just have the piano play. If you just need to come down, spend a few minutes talking to God, an old-fashioned altar.